Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? You ready to go? Hopefully you are. I want to uh, just welcome you all today. I want to say welcome to Myerstown, our Myerstown campus. Always good to say hi to you all. I want to welcome all those of you who are joining us online. And uh, as uh, Pastor Jared mentioned, when he was praying, it's just good to uh, be able to see Pastor Jerry and his family get a weekend away. If I haven't met you, my name is Pastor Ed, and so just taking this opportunity to share God's Word uh, with you today. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Matthew <clears throat> chapter 5, where uh, we are in uh, the beginning part of a series entitled Different. And uh, Different is our, our study on the Sermon on the Mountain. So in effect, it's a sequel because last summer we spent a number of weeks studying the Beatitudes. You remember them, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, just to name a couple of them. And a couple things that we learned from there is that uh, our Beatitudes and being blessed is really not dependent upon our external circumstances, but really how we are doing internally, how we are doing in our spiritual life. And as we continue to work through those beatitudes and let them sink into our minds and into our hearts, they really can give us a divine joy, a perfect peace, if you will, and, and, and a state of almost spiritual bliss as we let them sink into our hearts and live them out on a daily basis. As we continue to work through that, we see that Jesus was preaching this tremendous sermon because he wanted those around him to make an impact in the world. And, and in order to do that, we need to be different. We need to be different. And, and he went into an analogy using salt and light. He said salt is kind of this preserving agent, as you know, right? It's a preserving agent. And in effect, salt was the preservation of sin. He says, these are the things I don't want you to do, right? These, this is the preservation. This is kind of like the defense. We've got to hold the line on these things. And then he said, I want you to be light. Then he said, I want you to be light. I want there to be truths in your lives that are going to cause you to be different, that are going to cause you to live a different life and draw attention to me and to be able to impact the world around us. This is the offense. This is where we take ground for the kingdom of God. And so there was this idea of salt and light. And then Pastor Nate, two weeks ago, brought just a tremendous message about the law and how we are really looking at the law differently, right? While the Old Testament was complete and perfect, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, had so many additions to the law Right? They tried to make it simpler by adding more things, but they were really making it more difficult. And what they did is they were getting to a point where their life was all about what they were doing and not really who they were being. And it was reflecting and it was bringing about their need for a Savior. Well, that's kind of review. That's kind of a review of where we've been which brings us to our message today entitled, A Different Kind of Standard. Say standard with me. There you go. Great. I didn't want you to get out of practice. A different kind of standard. And in our passage, in our passage today, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 30. Verses 21 to 30. And Jesus is about to take some restrictions that the scribes and Pharisees had placed on the law two points of the law, dealing with murder and dealing with adultery. There's your fireworks for July the 4th right there. Restrictions that confine these to just not merely actions, 
But Jesus was about to challenge them. He was about to get inside their heart, right? And say, I don't want you to just to be able to conform, right, to a certain set of actions, but I want to get to the very heart of the matter of who you are. And so with that in mind, with that in mind, would you just take a minute and pray with me once again as we study this passage? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for these words that we're going to look at today that will challenge our hearts. Would you cause us, Father, to grow? Peter said, be holy for I am holy. Would you help us to grow today in that? Father, would you open up our hearts to what you desire to do? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was about 10 years old, I had a friend. His name was Rodney. Rodney was a little crazy. And Rodney got us crazy from his father, who was even crazier. Rodney's father had a Jeep. It looked like it had rolled right out of the jungles of Vietnam. This was in the 70s, right? There was rust holes throughout this thing. There was plastic around it. The plastic had plenty of holes in it, right? The plastic, plenty of holes in it. So you had air conditioning in the summertime. You got plenty of fresh air in the wintertime. There was fumes coming up out the back from the exhaust system. I always sat in the back seat. I'm surprised I'm still alive from carbon monoxide poisoning, right? And so, and so one 4th of July, you, and let me go back to that Jeep. I forgot a point. Rodney's father would like to off-road on the road. Did you ever drive with somebody like this when they try to take the turns really fast? He says, and, 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 and Rodney would be in the front scene saying, Dad, Dad, slow down, slow down. He said, Rodney, I'm trying to get the car up on two wheels, man, relax. This was his idea of a good time. I'm in the backseat hanging on for dear life. Anyway, this is Rodney's dad. Rodney's dad one time, I think it was around, I know it was around the 4th of July. He bought us a couple fireworks. We had some firecrackers. We had some M80s, right? And I had never played around with these things before. And um, so we were lighting them. We would be lighting them, and then we'd run, and they'd, they'd go off, right? And uh, we kind of got bored with that. And uh, so what we decided to do was light them and then throw them, right? Light them and then throw them. So Rodney, right, Rodney took his, he lit it, and he threw it. And I said, that's a wimpy throw. That's a wimpy throw. I said, I said, I can throw farther than you, man. And off it went in my hand. <laughs> off it went in my hand for real. I thought that was going to blow right there, man. <laughs> We were going to get real right now, man. We were going to call some real fireworks up in here, right? But it went off in my hand. And, and all I remember, I remember my hand being burnt. I had had a burnt hand before. That was okay. I was going to live through the burnt hand. What was troubling me was the ringing in my ear. I was watching lips move, but I couldn't hear nothing. And it scared me to death, man. I could hear a little bit out of this ear, but I could not hear much out of this. And it was ringing, and it was ringing. It was that annoying ring that just would not go away. And I was just scared inside. I'm going to go home. What am I going to say? What happened here? How long? Am I deaf for life? What is going to happen here? And it rang for the next couple of days. It rang for weeks. And I was freaking out. And finally, this ringing did start to subside. So why do I tell you this story? <laughs> Not just because it's the 4th of July, it really did happen, but what did I learn from this? Well, when you hold something with the potential of danger and you're not paying attention, right? You're more concerned with outthrowing your friend and you don't make some careful observations like, how long is the fuse? That's a really good thing to know, right? Not worrying about your windup and beating your friend, but how long is the fuse? It's important to be clued into a couple important things like that and not to be distracted. Similarly, similarly, there's firecrackers inside all of us, aren't there? There's firecrackers inside all of us. Our minds, our emotions, our passions, 
are constantly challenging us and pushing and putting us to the test, aren't they? When we get fired up, when we get fired up, we need to know how to keep that danger away from us so we don't have firecrackers going off in our lives, in our hands, if you will, right? Because that's not fun. Some of us are walking around today. Some of us are walking around today like we maybe got our spiritual bell rung, right? We're kind of walking around, and we know the Lord maybe is there, but he's not there, and I really can't hear him that well because my ears are, my spiritual ears are kind of ringing, and they've been affected, and, 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 and God is just kind of far away right now. But my friends, there's hope. There's hope. There is always hope in the Lord. And if that's you, I know it's been me before. If that's you, God wants to draw us in today. God wants to restore us. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And there's a grace. There's also a grace in that. And God also says, man, I I, I separate your sins as far as the east is from the west. And he ultimately desires us to bring us back and to have a relationship with him. And so today, today, right here on the 4th of July, we're going to look at two fuses in our lives, two fuses that really live within all of us, two fuses that if we're not very aware and not paying close attention to, they can do us damage. And they are the fuses of unhealthy anger and unhealthy passions. Okay? So let's jump in. Let's jump into our text today and see what Jesus' standards are for our heart in these areas. We'll first jump into anger. And uh, and, uh, the title of your section there is Guard Your Heart Against Anger. So let's take a minute and read Matthew 5, 21 to 26. It says this, You've heard that it was said of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there and go go before the altar and go. First, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid every last penny." Well, in this passage, Jesus quotes, right, basically the Sixth Commandment. He begins by quoting the Sixth Commandment that basically says, you shall not murder. And murder, basically in this context, is defined as an action that intentionally takes the life of another. And for sure, scribes and Pharisees, who were probably part of this crowd, were kind of sitting back and saying, okay, okay, Rabbi, we got that one. We're doing really good there. But let's dig in. Let's dig in a little bit with where Jesus is at because he's going to really get in uh, to our hearts and really disclose the origins of murder. He says, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Listen up, listen up. Did you catch that? Right? Whoever shows like just a level of degree of pride towards another person, maybe of, of hatred towards another person, of dislike or malice towards another person, maybe a sense of revengefulness towards another, that person, me, you, is guilty of murdering that person in our hearts. Whoa. And then, and then as a result, right, of getting angry, Jesus says you will be liable to judgment. You'll be liable to judgment. If you check back and you look at what it says about after uh, you've committed murder, you'll be liable to judgment, it's the same phrase. 
Now, most commentators would insert the fact that um, this would be a civil court. But just to break that down a little bit further, liable to judgment is most likely inferring this is the judgment of God. Why is that? Because the civil court is not going to be able to discern the heart of a person. But nevertheless, he's bringing that same phrase of being liable to judgment. And so that's anger. But Jesus is not finished yet. Jesus is going to continue to walk us through sort of a ladder of anger that intensifies. Watch what he does here. Watch what he does. He continues to amplify this one. He ramps this up because the next thing he says is, whoever insults, right? He's gone from anger now to whoever insults, to whoever shows like just a level of disrespect, a level of scorn. And he says that person will be liable to the council. And so again, kind of the degree of, of, of punishment then is, is ramped up as well. We started with the civil court, and when, and when Jesus uses the word council, he's implying the Sanhedrin. He's implying the Sanhedrin, or what we would, we would equate to the Supreme Court. And so once again, Jesus has, has raised the stakes here of the punishment. We talk about making insults and throwing insults. I swear, I, I tell you, there's a truck in my neighborhood that knows when I'm five minutes late, right? That knows when I'm running about five minutes late because it pulls out right in front of me, right? It couldn't wait 30 more seconds for me to go zooming by him, right? And then he's going to grind through all 64 gears, right, to get to the stop sign, which is only about, you know, less than a quarter mile away. And then he's got to grind through 64 more gears, right, to get up to the next stop sign, and I'm now 20 minutes late rather than five minutes late. I have hurled plenty of insults at that truck driver. But there's more. <laughs> there's another level that Jesus is going to talk about. Let's look at it. Jesus takes this final shot. He says this. Wait do you see this flow? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wait do you see this fuse blow up. Jesus states this. Whoever says you fool, ah, guilty of that one plenty of times. Whoever says you fool, or raka, some translations use that term. It says you fool, or raka, depending on the interpretation, okay, use these meanings, or these words can mean things like you empty-headed, you blockhead, you fool, you moron. I've used that one plenty of times with people. But when we begin, in, and depending on the interpretation of some of these words, we're pretty much saying, you got no scruples, you got no morals, and the world would be a better place without you. It's kind of what we're saying when we say that. You ever thought that? I know I have. When we're confronted with people that have wronged us, people that we disagree with, you see, sometimes feel just that hatred, that anger, just well up in our hearts. And know, again, traffic and spouses, if you're married, and family are not excluded from this. I remember at a prior job, we had a vendor, and... Uh, that vendor came in and did some work for us. He was working directly for me. And uh, he made a mistake with our computer system. And it was a really bad mistake. And I was overseeing that computer system at the time. And uh, the hard drive crashed. And uh, it was, we were like waiting over the next two or three days as to whether like the whole company's, uh, all the information, all the documents, all that we had was we were just waiting for the next two or three days. I did not sleep, probably for about three days. And, and we did, and, and, and fortunately the hard drive was restored. And then we waited like three or four weeks till we got back to any sense of normalcy. Can we print? When are we gonna be able to print? Why can't I do this? Where's my documents? I can't find this. This was went on for probably a month or two. And I was probably justified in being angry the first day, <laughs> but I nursed that grudge really hard. 
I nursed that thing, right, for several months until finally I just had to pick up, and f- pick up the phone and call the guy and say, I've just been feeling this way and I need to get this right with you. But anger comes in varying degrees. Anger comes in varying degrees and we've got to be watching. We've got to be watching the fuse of our hearts to know what triggers it and what is going to set it off. What is, what is Jesus doing in this, in this passage? What is he doing? He's a preacher. He's an expert communicator. And he's leaning in. He's leaning in. And he's driving a point about anger that he wanted his audience to just feel the weight of. He's using these different analogies, but he wants us just to feel the weight of this. I think he wants to condemn us in this, but he does want us to feel the weight in this. He's saying that just because... Just because you don't physically murder somebody, the anger, the fuses that go off in our hearts towards others is an offense to God. And that we need to become sensitive to. That anger, those outbursts, right? We're kind of we're murdering that other person in God's eyes. And God is calling us. I think the Lord is calling us today to say, hey, we need to be sensitive to those things. We need to be sensitive to the anger that we're expressing to others. Anger, anger sources come in all shapes and sizes. They come from all different origins. They come from all different experiences. But... I think for today's conversation, there's two major types of anger. There's two major types of anger. There's a righteous anger, right? There's a righteous anger. We can kind of see right now Jesus turning over the tables that the money changers had placed in the temple and was extorting individuals. There's a righteous anger, and there's also an unrighteous anger, a righteous anger, a couple things about that. Righteous anger is a response to an evil, a mistreatment, or an injustice that is in violation to God's word. I think that last part is important. It's not just um, an inconvenience to us or something that we don't personally disagree with, but it's something that is occurring, right, that is in violation to God's word. And, and, and it wells up an emotion in us, right? And, and it, get, it should get us amped up. And it should <coughs> call us to action. That's what righteous anger does. It should be able to say, man, I want to I stop. I, I, and the scripture tells us to abhor evil and cling to that which is good. And so we also need to be sensitized to what is the evil around us. What are those things that are in violation to God's word? And is that welling up a righteous anger in me that wants to do something about that? That is a good thing. But righteous anger needs a long fuse. (laughs) It needs to remain self-controlled. It's really important, right? Because we can quickly turn that righteous anger into an unrighteous anger. And there are situations, there are responses, again, that should stir up that righteous anger. But again, Ephesians 4.26 says this, in your anger, though, in your anger, do not what? Yeah, in your anger, do not sin. Jesus was a great example of this. Again, I mentioned the money changers and how he did that, but there was also a situation in Mark chapter 3 where, where he was with his disciples. He was walking around on the Sabbath, right? You almost, almost know where this is going, right? The Pharisees did not particularly appreciate him healing on the Sabbath. And one time, Jesus looked at them. Jesus looked at them in anger, but also he was deeply distressed. Do you feel the tension there? You feel the tension there that Jesus had when he was dealing with something that caused a righteous anger in him. There was also, there was, the, there was the sympathy, there was the mercy that he had for the other person, but he also looked at the Pharisees and says, my heart is just deeply distressed for where you're at as well. And he stepped forward and he healed the man, the hand. That is a righteous anger. But there's also an unrighteous anger. We'll spend a minute looking at that today. What is righteous anger? Or what is unrighteous anger? I'm sorry. Anger then comes 
hear this carefully, anger then comes from sinful desires that rule our hearts, and those desires are often not for bad things, but for good things we want too badly and are willing to sin to get. Let me read that again. Anger then comes from sinful desires that rule our hearts. Those desires are often not for bad things, but for good things that we want too badly and are willing to sin to get. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let me illustrate this with a diagram. Where do we get this from? A lot of this comes from James chapter 4. I just want to take a minute and read this because this really helps to kind of bring to light where a lot of the anger that we deal with from day to day comes from. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, reads like this. What causes quarrels and fights among you? What is the cause of those things? That's where we need to get to, the heart of the matter, right? What causes causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Wow, there we go. James might have even heard the Sermon on the Mount. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Right? There's things that we want that can ultimately be good. There's things that we want that can ultimately be good, but we want them too much. They become an obsession, and so we sin in order to get them. Let's look at what we'll call an anatomy of anger, and let's walk through an example just so we understand this. We all desire love, right? We all desire some level of respect, right? Maybe in our homes, at work, and those are all good desires. We desire to be affirmed. We desire to be accepted. We desire uh, to be respected. All those things are good things, but there are times when the desire becomes an expectation, right? There are times when those things like love or respect, they turn from being a desire to an expectation. And in our minds, they go from, that's something I want, to that's something I need, right? And the turn is beginning to be made. And then it goes to I demand. I demand says this. We have now really, we have amped up an expectation to a demand. And we find ourselves in the quicksand of idolatry. Right? Because that need has become so strong that it's even between me and God. And I want that so bad that now I'm willing to do, that now I am willing to sin to get that thing. So I desire, I expect, I demand, and then I become very disappointed and I even punish those around me. Our emotional energy begins to turn to anger, begins to even turn to sadness, and we sink even deeper. We either lash out or we shut down. We either lash out or we shut down. Some of us have a short fuse. Some of us have a short fuse, right? There's others of us who have a fuse that might be a little longer, and that fuse kind of runs and runs and runs, and then nothing happens, right? There's some people then who just kind of clam up. We don't know where we're at with them, but we're walking around on eggshells, right? Anybody with me, right? We have people that are short fuses. We know exactly where we stand with that person, there's other ones, others, or others of us who are like, man, is, is, is that firecracker going to go off? I don't know. You touch it. I don't want to touch it. You touch it. You go talk to him. I don't know where we stand with that person. He's grumbling around. He's obviously upset. Things aren't great, but we don't know whether we want to touch that person or not, and we're going to walk around on eggshells. Both of them are not good, right? We can see <laughs> what's happening with one person. We don't know where we're at with the other person, but neither one of them is good. 
And so then we go on and we do more things to get what we want. We manipulate. We do all sorts of things, right? We do all sorts of things. And so a question for this morning is, question for the heart, right? A question for the heart concerning anger is this. How do you handle it when God sovereignly withholds a desire of your heart? Man, how do, how do we deal with that? Are we ready to, to throw our backs in pride or do we humble ourselves? Well, Jesus tells us what we need to do, particularly as it relates to other people. Because once we realize we've done something, once we realize we've walked through these steps, we truly need to repent, right? We truly need to make that right. And that's what Jesus is going to get at as he continues this passage that we've already read. What he really wants us to do is reconcile, right? What he wants us to do is reconcile. Just read that for you again from verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, right, go and be reconciled. Listen to what that says, though. Are you hearing what Jesus is saying? He's saying you might be doing something really important. You're going to church. You read your, you're even offering your gift. And if you remember that you've done something to your brother... Go and seek out that brother. Do you see what a grace this is to that person? If I'm sitting here thinking, wow, I might have hacked Ed Bopa off, I'm not going to wait for Ed to come talk to me. I need to go talk to Ed. Do you see what a grace that is? It causes him not to stumble, right? And it brings us back into fellowship. And God is also saying, if you're, out of, if you're not reconciled with the people around you, with the people you love, it makes it really hard to worship me. And so we need to get our... We need to get our relationships right if we want our worship to be right. And Jesus would go on and, and again, use another, he's not done there. He uses another illustration where he uses the word accuser. And, and he's making an even stronger point here. He really brings the heat on. Because he's saying, man, you're going to get thrown into debtor's jail. You're never going to be able to pay that thing back. And, and, and the deal with that is this, anger is, is serious stuff. And we all need to take care of it. We all need to be careful to reconcile. Because if we don't, we, we kind of create a rut. We create a rut in our lives that just gets harder and harder to get out of. Right? And anger that is left, let go becomes bitterness. And that just becomes really hard to get out of. And so that's why Jesus is calling us to, we get angry. We know we're going to do it. Make it right with the other person. Make it right with the other person. So if we want to avoid, if we want to avoid committing murder in God's eyes, Jesus is asking us to take very swift. He's asking us to take immediate action, to take care of these affected relationships. Romans 12, 18 says this, as much as it is possible, live peaceably with everybody. Ephesians 4 talks about not letting the sun go down on our anger. And then Romans 12, 21 says this, and this is a great goal. This is a great goal. Don't overcome, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's saying, man, I don't want you to just defeat anger. I don't want that to just be snuffed out. I don't want that fuse to be snuffed out, but replace that with doing something good. When we begin to feel that anger well up in us, it's saying, okay, now's the time to take a positive step, a step that's going to really glorify the Lord. So we have a call there. We have a call to reconciliation, to deal with our anger that way and to understand that it is an offense to God. Well, if that wasn't convicting enough, let's take a look now at the second fuse, at the second fuse that Jesus deals with. And it's the, really the fuse of lust. All right, guard your heart against lust. Let's shift gears now and look at uh, Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. Let's take a look at that. So you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members rather than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members 
that your whole and that your then your whole body go into hell. Wow. Hide the sharp objects. It was a joke. <laughs> this time, this time Jesus is looking at both the seventh commandment and the tenth commandment. Right? He's addressing the issue of adultery, and he begins to really challenge us to be different again here in a whole new way. Adultery, all right? Sexual relations outside the context of marriage, if we're just going to basically define that today. But let's look at what Jesus is really addressing, right? He's saying this, whoever looks at a woman lustfully, all right? That's not going to mean that we're not going to see things in our eyes that we see from day to day that are not going to tempt us. That is not what Jesus is talking about. He said, whoever looks, that word looks is, is, is in the present participle. And so it's, it's throwing a meaning that says, whoever keeps on looking, okay? And then he uses the word lustfully, okay? It's right there, right there is where the fuse of sinful passion gets lit. And again, it's not so much the look or even the length of the look, but it's the intention of the look, right? Is it, is it that intention to initiate sexual temptation? That is where we're at in our mind. Just like anger can be used for something good, the Lord gives us all imaginations, and imaginations can be used for something good, but they can also be used to create thoughts in our minds that are an affront to God. It's the connection here. It's the connection between the eyes and the heart that we've got to focus on. Adultery of the eyes feeds the adultery of the heart. We really get down to this, you know, is it the eyes or the heart? It's kind of the chicken or the egg. I would, almost, I would always come back to the fact that it's the heart because the heart, because the heart is saying, I need something. It directs the eyes to look and it's game on. Let's talk for just another minute about this. Um, there's a word that really also helps us to understand this whole idea. I know it's not our favorite thing to talk about, but it's important that we talk about this. It's the, word, it's the word objectification. I just want to talk about that for a minute. Objectification. What, what is actually happening in that moment, right? In that moment that, that, we're, that our eyes are doing something that they should not be doing. Well, objectification. In this context, objectification reduces a woman or man to an object that we desire for our own selfishness. What we're doing is we're removing the personality Right? We're removing the ambitions, the goals, and the dreams of that person. We're removing the soul, and we reduced, uh, we basically reduced them to body parts. Noah Philippiak, in his book, Beyond the Battle, adds this. He says, the root of all lust is this objectification and dehumanization, whether in pornography in an indulgent gaze on the street, or in the fantasy of running off with a flirtatious friend. Every time we lust over a person, we dehumanize that person. We see and covet body parts while ignoring what makes them human. Ouch. That's convicting. Right here. Right here. But we need the, we need the truth in this to face reality. If we don't break it down to what it is, we'll keep glossing over it and we'll rationalize it and say it's okay. But we got to break it down into what it really is. That realization, that definition just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was very convicting. But it was also, it was also my friends, very freeing. It was also very freeing. And it has been really, really helpful in helping to snuff out this fuse in my own life. And I would suggest that we all kind of look at that phrase as well. There's, there's a, uh, a word that we just haven't talked about yet. There's, there's something in our, 
in our society, right? There's something in our society that the devil is using. There's something in our society that the devil is using to provide just a seemingly endless source of temptation, right? It starts with a P, pornography. And it's something we should probably just talk about just for a quick minute today. Pornography is really objectification on steroids, right? We've talked about that word objectification, but pornography is just objectification on steroids in every sense, from the production of it to the consumption of it. The stats on pornography are overwhelming. By the time I finish my next thought, just in the next 60 seconds, $185,000 will be spent online viewing pornography, and that doesn't include the free stuff. Okay? One in five searches on mobile devices involve pornography. Virtual porn, which I won't get into and explain this morning, but virtual porn is growing like weeds. Okay? But the other thing that's happening, the other thing that's happening that is really sad, that should, that should like cause good, righteous anger to rise up in us, is that our youth and young adults are being desensitized to this. Okay? We're just saying there's no problem with this. It's okay. It's not causing any problem in our society. How do we know this? And just, and just preparing for this and doing some study on this, came across a stat that just was really, really alarming. Like one in three young adults, one in three, 31% of young adults believe porn was not harmful in any way to society. Okay? It was, it was fleshed out this way. Um, Teens and young adults believe not recycling was worse than pornography. Okay? I, I would just beg to vigorously disagree. All right? And, and the more studies that are emerging, uh, the more it's being uh, disclosed that, that the use of pornography over time is inhibiting the ability to have relationships with real people. Okay, let me just explain what I mean by that. Uh, what is pornography doing? It's promoting a crushing, unrealistic expectation regarding physical appearance. It's diminishing the ability and willingness to, to engage in real relationships. It's diminishing the desire to get married. It's bringing shame and guilt. I could go on. I could go on with with the, this issue of pornography. But again, what this is doing is we're being very desensitized to this and we've got to the point where relationships are just too much work. And that's the effect that this is beginning to have on, on our society. And so we've got, to, we've got to get after this. We've got to say, hey, is this affecting me? If it is, we've got to address that. Okay. Sex, my friend, is a gift from God. It's a gift from God that is, that, is, that is reserved for the covenant of marriage. God is all for it, okay, in the right context. God is all for it in the right context. I mean, there's a Bible in the book devoted to sexual intimacy, the Song of Solomon, right? It's sanctified steam, <laughs> all right? It is sanctified steam. It will make you blush. I could make you all blush if I read it this morning. I won't. But God is all for it, but in the right context. In the right context. Like biblical intimacy is all about, right, a covenant renewing ceremony. Sorry, I know it's getting a little uncomfortable, right? Papa, Papa Ed to talk about this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Solidifies. It nourishes a marriage. It's an outward symbol of an invisible reality. Okay, it's two people being one flesh. I will adjust to your needs. You adjust to my needs. It's again the realization of a promise. It's a zone of security and safety, and it becomes binding and enduring. Outside the context of marriage, I would submit to you, it becomes very consumer-driven. It becomes an audition. It becomes marketing, and it's not trusting and giving. It's taking. There's a huge difference. There's a huge difference here. And this, my friends, this, this is why Jesus then just like empties both barrels, 
right? He empties both barrels with what he says we should do if our lives are beginning to be consumed by this. Let's read again what he says. If your right eye causes you to sin, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Okay? Jesus is speaking hyperbolically. Say hyperbolically. Not really. Don't worry about saying that. Right? He's speaking hyperbolically. He's again making a point. He's a preacher. He's an expert communicator that he's leaning into his crowd and he really wants to make a point. And it's a serious thing. It's a serious thing to him and it should be a serious thing to us. He cares about us. I think he wants our lives to be, an abun- to, to, to be full of abundance. And if, he's, and if we're going to be able to realize that, he's saying there's certain things that we're going to need to do. There's certain things that we need to be very careful of. There's certain things that if they become a part of our life that we need to address them to take, yes, even drastic measures. If there's certain places that you go that are causing you to sin, he says, man, don't let, don't let yourself go there. If your phone is causing you to sin, like run a hammer through it, run over it with your car and get a flip phone, like a phone or something that you're not able to make searches on. You know, we've got to contextualize this, contextualize this and bring it down to say, man, what needs to get in between me and that so I don't do that? So I, I, I get amped up about this, but I also come to you with just great sensitivity. It's an intense struggle. I understand. I understand. I understand that. But I do come to you with these words that Jesus is expressing, and you can just feel. You can feel what Jesus is saying. Guys, please, please address this. Please take care of this. Because this, my friends, can just become just an unquenchable desire, right, that doesn't get fully met when you try to meet it the wrong way. In this, Jesus uses a reference to hell. Hell creates this unquenchable thirst that is never met. And seeking hearts and seeking to meet sexual desires in the wrong way is just like being a raft on a raft in the middle of the ocean. There's all kinds of water around us, but we're always thirsting. The woman at the well realized this, didn't she? The woman at the well had this encounter with Jesus. Jesus confronts her like he says, man, I'm going to give you water that you'll never thirst again. She says, I want that water. And then he confronts her with what's happening in her life. He says, man, go get your husband. I don't have one. I know. You have five and the one you are with is, is not one. And Jesus is saying, man, I I, want to come. I want to quench that thirst in your life. There's two ways today we've learned, right? We've looked at anger and we've looked at lust. And these are two ways that we really dehumanize other people, but that we're all guilty of to some degree or another. And Jesus is coming to us today saying, I want to fill your hearts. I want to fight these battles for you and with you. He wants to come alongside us. He wants to come alongside each and every one of us and fight these battles. Jesus says, right, in Matthew 11, come to me. Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want to fight these battles for you. In and of ourselves, we're going to mess this up. We are going to mess this up. We're going to want things too much, and we're going to sin to get them. It's just who we are, man. We're sinful creatures. I am chief among them. I can be just irritable and grumbly. I'm the guy that, man, sometimes when I get angry, I'm sitting there, and people don't know whether to to touch me or not. Like, I'm not sure, man. And it just, it's not good. Sometimes our, our hearts, our hearts, they stray. 
right? They want something too much, and Jesus wants to fill every corner of our heart with his love, with his security, with his grace, with his comfort, with his strength. Might be sitting here today like, man, I don't, I don't even know this, Jesus. Well, if we go back to the words that are spoken from, from two weeks ago, uh, Jesus said, in order to get to the kingdom of heaven, your, your righteousness will need to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. We will never achieve that on our own. But Jesus Christ died for each and every one of us. And he wants to give us his righteousness. He desires to give us his righteousness, to clothe us in that righteousness and to give us overcoming, conquering power for the sin that is around us. Man, what do we need to do? What do we need to do in each of these? Well, James would have gone on to say in in chapter 4, He goes on to say this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Man, if anger and lust are just eating your lunch, it's time to just humble ourselves before the Lord and say, God, I need your help in this. I need your strength in this. I need you to intercede for me. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. And Jesus, I think, just Jesus just longs to come alongside us and purify us, to purify our hearts, and to meet the deep down needs of our heart. Romans 6.23 also says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the very gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And man, if you're sitting here today and you're wondering where would I spend eternity? Right there, man, the wages of sin, the wages for these things that we do, talked about two of them today, anger and lust, the wages of sin is death, but the very gift, the very gift of God, the very gift, what does it take to reach out and receive a gift? The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's take a minute and pray. Father, we come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. God, thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you for not just being concerned with the external part of our life, but, but, but willing to dig into our heart so that we can live authentic lives. So God, we just come before you today. Father, we come before you today just desiring to be poor in spirit. Father, just desiring to mourn over our sin. Blessed are those who mourn. God, we just take a moment in our hearts to do that. Father, blessed are those who are meek. Lord, would you just help us to be meek? Would you help these gifts that you've given to us to be under control of your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to set our minds on who you are? Would you help us to set our minds on the righteousness of Christ that that would reign preeminent in our lives and that we would set our heart on that today? Father, we repent today. We repent today. We take this moment to repent of these things in our hearts which we need to get right with you. And we desire to serve you and love you and be salt and light in this world. So would you please help us to do this? Help us to set our hearts on you today. In Jesus' name, amen.